You're listening to the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast. Knowledge, techniques, and inspiration for your teaching and your practice. I'm your host, Mado Hesselink. If you're a yoga teacher who loves learning, is passionate about spreading the benefits of yoga, and desires more resources to support your teaching, you're in the right place. Let's get started with today's episode. Hello, yoga teacher. This episode is for all of you who teach at yoga studios or who want to teach at yoga studios. This week, I'm going to discuss non-compete contracts, including what you should consider before choosing whether or not to sign one, what other options you might have other than just signing, and some general tips for having a respectful, equitable, and mutually beneficial relationship with your yoga studio owner or manager. Throughout this episode, I'm going to assume that you are a 1099 subcontractor at the yoga studios where you teach, because that's the most common format that studios use to hire teachers. If you are a W-2 employee, your situation might be a little bit different, so bear that in mind when you hear my advice. As a subcontractor, the studio management is not exactly your boss. They're more like your client. What that's supposed to mean is that they can tell you what they want you to do, i.e. what result they want, but not how to do it. In practice, there's a fine line between those two. I've definitely heard many stories of yoga studios that clearly cross that line, but I think that's a topic for another episode. When I first started teaching, non-competes were not very common in the yoga industry. In fact, I never heard of one until a few years ago. You showed up and you taught, and you were even encouraged to promote your other classes and events. Over the past 15 years, that has changed a lot. The big factors leading to this change has been more corporate yoga studios bringing in corporate culture and more competition in general. Non-competes are a matter of employment law, so it's important to emphasize that as I'm not a lawyer, I cannot give legal advice. This is my personal perspective as a fellow yoga teacher who wants what's best both for you as a teacher and the yoga industry as a whole. If you want advice on the legality of your specific situation, please hire a lawyer who's familiar with employment laws where you live. Non-competes are a legal document that you sign agreeing not to open up a competing business within a certain distance and time frame. At yoga studios, this often includes not teaching at other studios, which actually means not taking on other clients within a certain distance. My understanding is that these non-compete contracts are often non-enforceable, at least in the U.S. where I live. However, that doesn't mean that you're best served by signing them, knowing that both getting sued as a hassle, whether or not you win, and signing a contract that you don't plan to honor is a conflict with the principle of satya. So it would create, I think, a feeling inside that would not be a really great beginning to a working relationship. When you first get hired by a yoga studio, Make sure that you read any manual, policy, or contract really carefully. Don't gloss over it just because it's just a formality or it's yoga, so of course they'll behave ethically. It's possible that a non-compete clause 
will be buried in a more detailed contract. So you definitely want to understand exactly what you're signing when you get hired. I think that having a contract to sign is in general a good thing, a sign that the studio is being run professionally. Having expectations and responsibilities in writing is helpful because it limits miscommunication that easily happens with verbal agreements. It also gives you a good sense of the priorities of the ownership or the management at the studio you're getting hired. So it can be a jumping off point for future conversations if necessary. If a studio does ask you to hire a non-compete, my advice would be take it to a lawyer to look at before signing if you're considering it. That might seem like a big expense for what might just be one or two classes at a studio, but this is a situation where I would definitely err on the side of caution. If you were to sign one and you violated it, they could sue you. Now, like I said earlier, in the US, in general, I've heard these are not enforceable, meaning that you'd probably win the lawsuit, but only after the hassle and expense of defending yourself. In the Yoga Teacher Resource Facebook group, there was a recent thread about this and a member who wants to be anonymous on the podcast shared her experience of signing a non-compete. These are her words. She said, I was asked to sign a non-compete, consulted a lawyer who reviewed the agreement and recommended I not sign. I went ahead and signed anyway, and when I left the company after less than 90 days, they tried to enforce the non-compete. This left me unable to teach anyone over the age of three and a half years old within three miles of any location where they had classes at. This was a school-based yoga program at over 25 schools, and I'm a kid's yoga teacher by trade, so this left me in quite the predicament. My lawyer informed me that in my state, non-competes are not enforceable, but the company persisted. We almost had to go to court so I could teach again. I would advise not to sign based on my personal experience. I was unable to teach kids yoga for almost three months while the lawyers went back and forth. This is a really helpful story, even though I'm sure that it was a tough experience at the time, because it's a reminder that the only winner in a legal disagreement are the lawyers. When people ask me for advice, when my coaching clients ask me, I generally advise not to sign non-competes unless the studio is offering a significant amount of compensation and job security in exchange for signing. Think about a common scenario. A yoga studio is offering you one or two classes a week, paying you 40 or $50 a class without any guarantee of keeping you on the schedule in the long term. That situation is very imbalanced and the contract is only written to benefit the studio, which is understandable. If I compare this to something like real estate, the buyer makes an offer designed to protect him or herself and the seller counters with stipulations that balance the equation or perhaps tip the scales in their favor. They go back and forth until both parties feel that their interests are represented. One thing that is different in real estate is that each party has an agent acting on their behalf. That means that the two parties don't have to negotiate directly, which is a lot scarier and more vulnerable, especially when it's with somebody who you're asking to be your client, but who may actually see themselves as your boss. To me, this is where yoga teachers thinking of themselves as entrepreneurs is helpful because I think it's a more empowering place to be to know that you're negotiating with a potential client 
rather than a potential boss, which has a different type of power imbalance built in. Inner work is really important here too. You have to understand your value and to be able to tap into a sense of being enough and having enough, trusting that if this opportunity doesn't work out, another one will. Studio owners have a lot on their plates. They have to juggle what's best for the studio, the students, and all the teachers. They have to make a lot of tough choices, and the truth is that yoga teachers are not always the easiest people to deal with. The studio management ends up taking responsibility for all the business aspects of teaching, and yoga teachers sometimes don't understand how much our behavior can make extra work for them. For example, if you're constantly forgetting to get a sub and you ask for help at the last minute, imagine multiplying that by 20 or 50 teachers. It can be like herding cats. So I have a lot of compassion for yoga studio owners. They, in turn, often feel like the teachers at their studio don't truly care about promoting the studio and are only out to make a name for themselves. Finding the balance between the needs of the studio and the needs of the individual teachers isn't easy. And in the best of all possible worlds, we would come to a place where everybody feels like their needs are being met, they're being respected, they're being honored. If that's not the case, then it might not be the best relationship. It might not be the best match. In a way, I do think it's up to the teacher to prove their loyalty and commitment to the studio first. The studio owner has a lot more skin in the game. They have invested more time and more money and more of their energy into this The type of investment that a studio owner makes is hard for us as teachers to really understand. It's like heart and soul and blood and sweat and tears. It's a lot harder for them to walk away. So in a way, the onus is on us as teachers to take the first step and to really try to understand what the needs of the studio owners are, the studio owners and managers are, when we start a negotiation with them. Over the past decade, as real estate prices have shot up, the yoga studio business model has gotten harder and harder. And the studio owner is in charge of figuring out how to keep the doors open, and there are rarely easy answers for them. At the same time, you are the only one who is looking out for you. And so you're the one who has to decide what's fair and reasonable. I encourage you not to sell yourself short in search of a teaching position. While a studio owner or manager probably wishes the best for their teachers, they also don't have the time or energy to concern themselves with whether or not what they're offering you is in your best interest. So that's up to you to decide. If there's a studio where you really wanna teach, and they're asking for a non-compete that doesn't feel quite fair, sit down with the owner or the manager. Have a heart-to-heart. They're often some of the most wonderful and compassionate people I've ever met. If you share your concerns and you seek to understand theirs, I think it's really likely that you could come up with a compromise that does feel good. On the other hand, if they don't seem interested in hearing your concerns, they act like you're lucky to get a class at all, that might be a good sign that it's not a good fit. A yoga teacher named Kay shared this experience also in the Yoga Teacher Resource Facebook group. She said, I signed one and it left a bitter taste for the rest of my employment there. 
It was manipulative, so it only benefited the company, and they forced me to walk away from a person that I have had worked with for years, and I think she suffered because of it. If a studio starts by making a one-sided contract a condition for employment, it's worth taking a second look to see if there are any other red flags. We can't always foresee all problematic relationships from the beginning, but it's worth trying, and it's worth letting go of one opportunity, even when we don't know what the next opportunity is going to be, to avoid a relationship that's going to be draining. Standing up for yourself when you are asking for a job is definitely not easy. But if you don't do it right away, you're more likely to feel bitter if things don't end up working out. Be respectful, kind, and firm when you negotiate. Make sure that you are clear about where your own boundaries are. What will it take for you to walk away? The non-compete may or may not be a condition for employment. They may present it to you just to see if you'll sign. And some studio owners will definitely see your perspective if you explain why it doesn't make any sense for you to sign your potential future opportunities for such a small relationship, one or two classes a week. One more comment from the Facebook group, this one from a teacher named Megan. She said, I was asked to sign and I refused. I explained that signing a non-compete was in direct opposition to why I wanted to teach yoga. This was at a fitness center, not an exclusive yoga studio. They did offer to help me pay for ongoing training, but I refused. They understood and I've happily taught there for the last three and a half years. What it comes down to is, do you have a trusting and mutually beneficial relationship with the place that you teach? That's what we all want, I think. What we all want from all of our relationships. If you are a part-time teacher and you are not counting on needing more and more opportunities to support your family or support yourself, if you want to be deeply connected to one studio and you feel really good about the ownership and management, Signing a non-compete might not be a big deal. It is a symbol of loyalty and commitment. I would just ask you to ask yourself what symbol of loyalty and commitment they're offering in return. And it can be something untangible. You know, you might just have a feeling like this studio owner, this studio really supports me. And for me, signing this piece of paper when I'm not planning to teach anywhere else anyway it's not a big deal. What has happened in the yoga industry though is yoga studios tend to hire a lot of teachers for just a few classes each. It works great for the studio because they offer a lot of variety that way and it can be appealing to the students for the same reason. Whether or not it's actually in the best interest of the students is an open question, probably saved for another episode. But the result is that each teacher now needs to teach at several studios and probably produce their own events in order to make a living. On the one hand, you have the full-time teacher who can't be loyal to one studio, or you have the part-time teacher who only wants a few classes but isn't going to be able to devote their entire lives probably to being immersed in the world of yoga. And whether you're a full-time teacher or a part-time teacher, you absolutely want to make sure that your contribution and your commitment are being acknowledged and honored in a way that feels good to you. 
So far, I've been talking about working with yoga studios solely in the capacity of teaching. When we teach, when we're just walking in, teaching our classes, and then going home, we're not really privy to a lot of sensitive information. So if a studio hires you as a studio manager, even if you're teaching, then you'll have access to more sensitive information, and I think it would be more fair, especially if they're compensating you well, to sign a non-compete. If you end up starting your own competing studio, you will have a hard time not taking advantage of insider information that you gained as manager. So in that case, you just want to make sure that the time frame and the distance in the non-compete is reasonable. And I hope this goes without saying, but if you do sign one, plan on honoring it. If a studio hires you to run their teacher trainings, I would consider that to be a similar situation. It's a job with significant responsibility and hopefully significant compensation. It would definitely be unfair to turn around and start offering the same teacher training at another studio down the road. In this case, you're hoping for a long, involved relationship, so do your due diligence, pay special attention to any early red flags in your situation and make sure that once the contract is finished, meaning that if you're no longer teaching the teacher training at that studio, that you are free to then offer it nearby. To recap the gist of my thoughts on non-competes, if you're asked to sign one, consider the studio's reasons for asking, then compare what they're asking you to sign with what they're offering in return. If you feel like what they're asking and offering is reasonable, by all means sign it, although I still would have a lawyer look at it, if possible. If you're being asked to sign a non-compete where you're not getting compensated enough to justify hiring a lawyer, consider that a red flag. Doesn't make it a definite no, but a reminder to have a gut check about the whole situation. If you don't feel it's fair for whatever reason, think about negotiating before you walk away from an opportunity. Remember that yoga studio owners, yoga studio managers, generally they don't get into this industry because they're money hungry or power hungry. They genuinely wish to serve and they genuinely wish to be good people. So they are worth reaching out to, they're worth having an honest conversation with before deciding whether or not a situation is right for you. All right, that is my thoughts on this topic. If you want to respond or you want to add to the conversation, I welcome you to join the Yoga Teacher Resource Facebook group if you're not already a member. You can find the link to join at teachingyoga.net slash join. Several of you have reached out to me recently asking about small group coaching. What I'm hearing from you is that you want more intimate community and you want an affordable way to get my advice and feedback. My plan is to offer this starting in the fall, and while I'm still working out the details, I'd love to get a sense of who's interested. If you want to get out all the details as soon as they're finalized, I hope you'll get on the wait list by going to teachingyoga.net slash mastermind. I am personally participating in two different masterminds right now, and it's really incredibly uplifting and empowering and encouraging to have a small group of like-minded individuals where I can be really open and honest, get honest feedback, and feel 
supported by other people in the same situation I am. So the link to get on the waitlist for that again is teachingyoga.net slash mastermind. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening as always. And please remember to make time for your personal practice. Thank you.